So um, this talk is on the five precepts. And uh, I wonder how, how that uh, hits you. That's one of the things I'd like to invite you to, to do during this talk is to as reflect on what is our relationship to these precepts, both individually and as a group. We may be very familiar with them, we may not be. Um, so I don't know, and hearing the title of the talk, maybe there's no reaction, or maybe, oh great, the precepts. Or, oh no, we've already talked about that like three times. Um, just whatever it might be. As I think our relationship or where we understand and relate to or react to these precepts is, is really, really uh, important and helpful to become aware of in terms of understanding our, our practice. So the Buddhist path has these three areas of practice that all uh, support each other, connect together, and sometimes they're likened to the three legs of a stool to rest upon this um, sila, morality, wise speech, action, livelihood, and a samadhi or Meditation of wise effort, mindfulness, and concentration, and the wisdom of wise understanding and wise intention. So, just to to reflect and to um, see in our experience in our life, you know, um, when we see ourselves on retreat how much these um, these three factors sort of work work together supporting each other and um, so to um, reflect as well that these um, these these precepts and the ethical the ethical life that they uh, suggest that they point to is um, a key part of our practice in so many different ways and in so many different levels. Um, and and Ajahn, Ajahn Chah puts it one way in terms of our meditation practice. He says, with virtue as the basis for everything you do, your mind will become kind, clear and quiet. Meditation will grow easily in this soil. So it's um, beginning to understand and explore and, and, and feel that um, a kind of happiness or peacefulness or integrity that we can um, experience when we, re- when we feel like our Life, our behaviour is in accord with our, you know, with our intentions, with our deepest intentions. 
And so to understand how the um, processes of meditation support our uh, ethical life. And I'll, I'll, um, in a little bit, I'll, I'll go through a number of ways. Of how, how, so, so say we want to take up these, these precepts, which I will mention, what they go through them again briefly in a minute. Uh, um, how do we, you know, we might have good aspiration. Yep. I'll be I'll, being kind. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> and how do we support that? You know, how do we deal with the various kinds of obstacles? You know, and uh, so we were talking a bit earlier today about the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. You know, which without which perhaps we wouldn't need the precepts because in various ways we, we're all so much of the time, aren't we? Sort of being pulled or pushed by. Or you know, deluded by you know some one of these, and so what the what these five precepts can offer, they can offer us a, some some guidance, some reference point, um, and so in terms of our relationship to them, um, we might. Uh, Think about the the possibility of seeing them relating to them as helpful, as uh, protective, as supportive, as challenging in a good way, um, and that the way that they can offer us a kind of refuge, at least a place where we can go either individually or, or with others to ask, you know, what what to do, <laughs> how to how to respond, you know, and a way of, of sort of supporting us. Um, to to really in, in, in living in an in intentional way, not just you know kind of in a sea and wash of inner and outer sort of conditioning and impulses, and the world tells you this. And so these precepts offer something something reliable in a way. Right? That part of that taking taking refuge in the Dharma. So there's a um, man called Stephen Rice. In relation to this, he said, value-based happiness is a sense that our lives have meaning and fulfill some larger purpose. It represents a spiritual source of satisfaction stemming from our deeper purpose and values. So it's pointing towards, again, a, a different kind of happiness, a happiness that's not so much based on getting and consuming and becoming and achieving and uh, all that, but is based in something else. And that larger purpose. If you remember last night when talking about the middle way, being more about um, a sort of wise responsiveness in life, you know, what is needed, what would help, and how that helps us to let go of all the, you know, I, I, what shall I do, what what do I want, I'm, I'm so confused, I, you know, which yeah, is... Uh, Sometimes it's like it's just endless, isn't it? It's like a maze without an exit. You can have such a thing, you know. <laughs> Where does that go? So it's like, oh, okay. So the ethical precepts is part of the middle way, you know. It's part of the eightfold path. They're, they're 
here, you know, you use this. So remembering them individually, and as I go through them again, just to listen inwardly, and just see how that touches you, um, how it touches your heart, what the response or reaction is. And so sometimes I think, I go through the precepts, I think, yeah, that one's sort of, I'm, yeah, that one's okay, I'm kind of, ooh, but that one, no, I'm not too sure about that one, you know, that's so kind of to listen out for where there might be snagging questions or yeah, whatever, whatever that might be. And to really see that rather than, oh, well, I, that puts me off, I'm not going to think about that one or whatever. It's more like an invitation because probably if there's something that we're responding to, either in a positive or a negative way, there's something there that uh, could could be very very helpful to look at. So the first the first precept. The training in non-harming, of refraining from harm, and in the cultivation of kindness and compassion. So with each one we're reflecting on the refraining, the restraint element, and then the, the cultivation element, what's, what's being brought into being, what can be nurtured instead. So the second one, to refrain from stealing, to refrain from taking anything that's not freely offered. And to practice contentment and generosity. Third one, to refrain from harmful sexual activity and to cultivate wisdom and care in all our relationships. And then to refrain from harmful speech and to practice noble silence and wise speech. And then lastly, Refraining from using or taking intoxicants that cloud the mind. And to care for our body and mind. So what supports us in... Uh, in in, in this training, if we if we take it on, if we 
commit ourselves to that, this uh, training of restraint and cultivation. And I, I think probably, you know, just being on retreat here and there's perhaps been some answers or possible ways of exploring that question, aren't there? Things that we learn on retreat as we're uh, practicing. You know, and I, I feel like being on retreat here, where we come and we, right from the first evening, you know, we hear the precepts and we're invited to make this commitment, this act, this gift of generosity towards ourselves and others for helping to create this safe uh, practice environment where we uh, commit to being respectful and kind to each other and to ourselves while we're here. And in so many ways, the different aspects of Gaia House is, is so much about trying to uh, really live out these precepts. They're really in, in as many ways as possible, you know, and it's hard in lots of ways, whether you're talking about relationships or your own practice or the environmental concerns of the building or anything you know it's 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 um and i think this is really important part of taking on the precepts is realizing you know it's like, like i think i was saying isn't it about the brahma viharas you know when you pick up a quality and you think yes i'm going to cultivate kindness one of the things that can happen is we become more aware of when we're not <laughs> and uh well, we do fall short and and so to to be very very uh, inclusive with that and practice the wisdom of imperfection You know, because without that, um, we can, the path cannot, we can't participate in a way. So, on retreat, probably you can think of moments and times here where, you know, the ethical precepts or one of them or more of them were around for you in, in some, some way. And I, I really think that mindfulness, I mean, in some ways, is mindfulness is a kindness. But how, how, how much mindfulness, um, you know, can support kindness? You know, and I have a little example, a story, a small experience I had on the tube in London where there was a small child in a pushchair on the tube train and the child was, I don't know, maybe three or something, and he was kicking his legs, you know how they do, just kind of going boing, boing, like that. fun, kick his leg. And then suddenly he started crying, you know, sort of shrieking with pain, obviously. And he thought, you know, what happened? And so his mother was trying to calm him down, and he was, uh, you know. And then she took off one of his socks and realised that um, he had made a little cut in his heel because he'd whacked the... Uh, edge of the you know push chair and I was watching all this you know mindful <laughs> and I then realized I had a little plaster in my purse you know I had two or three little plasters I carry around in my purse mindful of that thought and then the then the action the actually doing it bit <laughs> took my plaster out of my purse and and gave it to the mother and, and she put it on the little boy's heel and you know, and the little boy kind of calmed down in the way that you do, don't you? Even when it still hurts, somebody's kind of kind of taking care of you, and you're like, oh, okay. 
you know, panic dies down. And and then I saw when I was getting my purse, I had an apple in there as well in my bag. So I, it was just it was just so natural to give the apple as well. I didn't check with the mum, so okay, to offer the apple to the little boy. And then these kind of big eyes, you know, like, oh, and holding his apple, you know. And it was so lovely, and the whole thing is just such a small thing, but um, I think it's it felt to me like such a good example of how mindfulness just then manifested as kindness. You know, it wasn't like any kind of heroic, saintly kind of, you know, that posture or image or expectation we might have about, you know, what kindness looks like. Um, we're cultivating steadiness. I mean, I, this word concentration, samadhi in Pali, S-A-M-A-D-H-I, um, more than concentration is really this steadiness of mind, this, this calmness, this stillness, this one-pointedness of mind, and how much that quality in the mind supports us, supports us with our ethical life. You know, if, if, if the mind is clear and you're seeing with mindfulness and it's steady so that you're not just, you know, reacting, drawn, like, you have more choice, right? Does that make sense, you know? Like, um, two, two little examples, um, similar ones, um, kind of a thing about buying books, you know, can't go in a bookshop without buying a book, can hardly walk past the bookshop without going into the bookshop, the whole kind of thing. And just and just at one point, kind of making that really conscious choice to 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 oh here comes a bookshop okay right I'm having my bookshop thing starts and then I just keep walking and what of course I notice is that you know the book thing kind of it's like a kind of wave it kind of crests up and then I walk on and then it kind of goes down so almost within like possibly thirty seconds you know. It was like an opportunity to see the arising and passing of that particular impulse, you know, that particular kind of momentum of a habit. And so then, maybe then there's more choice, like subsequently. You know, I actually don't feel as compelled to go into bookshops now. It may not be just because of that, but it might be a contributory factor. Um, and another little example from being on retreat, another food thing for some, you know, for me, maybe others, food can be a place where we see, you know, we see things. Um, in the Hermitage Wings, if people know, you know, you get treats in the kitchen. So that, that's a, if any of you are thinking of coming on personal retreat, I don't know if that would put you off or attract you. There's chocolate and biscuits will sort of appear in the hermitage kitchen sometimes, you know. And so one retreat I was on, I was just getting this habit of, like, it would just always go and put my head around the door just to see, you know, oh, is there anything there? And, and even get quite skillful. You can look through the glass, you know, and you can actually see, if you know, there's a little, there's a little blurry outline on that part of the table. It's, um, I can't be the only one, can I? Um, and so, you know, again, one day, you know, feeling... Bit more steady, pretty mindful. But okay, you know, coming into the Hermitage Wing. Okay, Hermitage Kitchen. I was right. Yeah, it's on. It's kind of on the horizon. Okay, it's right. Okay, let's see. And so again, I kind of did the same thing. I just kept walking, and I turned and instead of going 
to the kitchen, I just turned and went up the stairs. And and as I was doing that, I was sort of again seeing the whole thing kind of you know blossom and kind of in my mind of like, oh, there might be something really really good there, you know, got a real special one or. And I really need it, or I deserve it. You know, I can't remember exactly what. The <laughs> and I'll only have one, or you know, whatever. And and it was wonderful because I mean, it hasn't completely cured me of all my food issues, but it really, um, yeah, just seeing so clearly and seeing the simplicity of that, of of in a way, in a way, you know, like some things I was trying to suggest last night, that sometimes the skillful action, the ethical action is so, it's, um, I mean, in a way, can you see in that, I'm not really doing anything. Can you see that? It's kind of, I just keep walking and go upstairs. It's like, you know, no heroic weightlifting or, you know, it's just, it's, I think, I have the sense that sometimes it's so much more simple But when we have that steadiness. So this is why the meditation practice, both to come on retreat and practice and then in our daily life, you know, to have regular sitting time and to have, you know, it, it, it's, we may not realise, but that additional sort of steadiness and mindfulness is is part of what actually enables us then to to live more skillfully. So another thing we can do is cultivate the Brahma Viharas, these qualities of love or kindness, compassion, uh, appreciative joy and equanimity. And, and any other wholesome quality you, you care to name and would like to practice, such as uh, gratitude, which I think is a really lovely one to do. Um, that these, um, in the in way that they gladden and support the mind, um, help help us to feel, and who I think less preoccupied, you could say, with our own unhappinesses and negativities, and then, and therefore more available uh, for goodness and for skillfulness both you know for ourselves and, and for others um, so you know we can oh, I was going to say something else it's gone now um, hmm. so what's supporting the um, capacity to for example relate to um, somebody's good fortune you know when we practice mudita and we're able to let go of the of the envious thoughts and we're able to actually celebrate that person's good fortune and and support them and support them so it's there's the kindness and and the generosity that we can then we can actually be um, be able to um, support that person as well as supporting our own mind and yeah, I mean, I was thinking there's numbers of ways that each of those Brahma Viharas can support us, support us with different aspects of of, of the, um, you know, when, when we're happier. At least I don't know if this is true for you. It's it's like, you know, there just is less unskillfulness that arises, you know. But when you're really, you know, possessed by negative states, and it, it's just. Um, not so, yeah, just not so easy to to be skillful. It really seems like happiness supports supports um, yeah, supports generosity, supports care. 
So, um, yeah, this is um, Reb Anderson in, 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 in relation to this is something which I think is really, really important. Um, so as we're cultivating these, these qualities, um, that it's, it's not, well, he says, a state of mind is not stable, but a loving attitude can be. So to see the difference, yeah, between, say, maybe a happy or loving mind state, which may come and go. But what would it be to have a loving attitude all the time with everything? You know, that, that's, 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 if you feel that that's, that's different, that's, there's much more somehow, uh, resource in that so um, going through what supports us in in this training so mindfulness steadiness cultivating these wholesome wholesome mind states and attitudes and um, next one I put is effort and I think discovering what wise effort is 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 in itself takes a lot of effort and we've been talking a bit about that on retreat, you know, in different ways. But in talking to people and knowing, you know, just work, working sort of with my own mind, you know, I, I do feel like sometimes there is a kind of almost sort of heroic kind of effort that's needed to, um, to keep that patient, you know, just again and again and again and again you know in the face of patterns and habits that just feel so kind of stuck and so there's one quotation which I know, uses quite strong language but but for me it, it really speaks sometimes to that degree of effort that that may sometimes be necessary it's uh, a, a christian theologian called Teilhard de chardin i probably said that wrong He says, nothing is more excruciating than effort. And that is true of spiritual effort too. Every individual life lived loyally is strewn with the outer shells discarded by our successive metamorphoses. So um, um, the last area I'd like to look at, several things, is um, applying wisdom. I'm, I'm kind of thinking of that in our life and in different situations that, that we're in, um, how we can bring what, what we know um, and the wisdom that we have and actually apply that. Because I often feel like we, we don't, we know in a way, don't we, you know, but we don't always act as if we know <laughs> and it's it's again having that incredible patience with with that um so um another quotation was it this is a this is something that Thanissaro says about um intent the, the importance of intention the most important power is shaping your experience of the world are the intentional thoughts words and deeds you choose in the present moment 
So, it's that it's that wisdom of you know right right now right here however I am whatever the situation is that actually it's how how I respond yeah what intentional uh, energy thought speech action whatever it is that 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 actually is um the most important factor in determining like how even it's a, even even if it's a very very difficult situation how much suffering there is or isn't in that and and that's just something to really explore for ourselves because i think it's you know, again I, I think that's quite quite challenging in in many ways so i particularly wanted to 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 kind of mention the third wise intention which is renunciation which we haven't really mentioned yet on the retreat so we have kindness compassion and renunciation as the three skillful intentions that the buddha picks out okay so renunciation i mean i think that you know i don't know again how do we how do we react to that word i don't, I don't know but it's it's so it's so it, it's if you think say for example about the uh, second precept not stealing not taking what's not offered and generosity being able to let go and and give up and how renunciation speaks to that particularly that attitude of mind that understanding that the things of this world do not provide what we think they do often that they are not you know going to provide us with lasting safety security satisfaction uh, relief etc and i think so in a way if you look at all the precepts so many of the ways we get into trouble is because of that ignorance that delusion that we have got hold of something in our mind you know we've got hold of some idea about what how something should be or what we want we want this particular whatever it is and that we don't even realize that we're doing it but that we've made our, our happiness dependent upon something and i think this can be so powerful and so um so so kind of strongly operating in our lives but we don't we don't realize that that's that's what's happening so it feels like um that to understand to understand um that the the pa- the power of that craving of that wanting and the also the wanting to get rid of we need renunciation we need that to support us in being able to to let go and to understand you know that like um, Christina Feldman says it's a projected promise we've projected into the object the person the place the even the psychological profile for ourselves whatever it is you know we we have said right when that i've got that then and and increasing in my life i see my it just doesn't it just it doesn't it 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 just doesn't work <laughs> you know and it's like well you know i just 
feeling, well, maybe it's just that other bit, you know. So um, where does my happiness truly lie? This is a great question, I think, in, again, supporting this investigation and supporting our, our skillfulness when we say, I'm going to say this. Is that truly conducive to my happiness, to that person's happiness? Where does true happiness lie? Will I really feel really happy when I've just blown my top at that person? You know? Will I really feel a lot better for a long time if I buy that thing? You know, I mean, it sounds like when you sit and you talk about it in the abstract, it sounds silly, but it's so powerful, I think. And I, just the way we can get hold of little things, and maybe you see that a bit on retreat because you're away from your usual bits and pieces and, you know, you can't have your shower at your usual time or you can't have your particular coffee or whatever it is, you know. And you think, whoa, I didn't realise I was so attached to that. So... Um, I also wanted to mention again, as I mentioned briefly last night, about the power of um, bringing in the uh, reflection on the three characteristics, these these three um, facets of, of, of experience, all our experience, and that when we can see these, these uh, qualities or realities of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and insubstantiality. That is so supportive of our skill, more skillful ethical relationship with things. Can you see that? You know, if we know that things are just passing and everything is so um, ephemeral, and that things again don't really satisfy us, are not really what will uh, what will meet that that need for for peace for. Um, for happiness, and when we realise, in a way, that the the insubstantiality, the lack of any real person or self here who who has who has anything, who gets or has, or and so then the whole kind of enterprise just seems more and more ludicrous. You know, who who's getting what for whom? And the same with you know the people who we think other people are, and we have this fixed idea about that person, and I like this, and I relate to them in this way, and it's like you know beginning to see the insolidity of that, that the person's impermanence, the the person's um, uh, mortality, the the the, the person's uh, own suffering, and in a way that the, their own sort of um, a reality as a, just a bundle of conditions, of changing conditions, sort of just like we are. And anyway, so that that whole exploration, how have we, how we take that up, and how much that helps with non-harming, and, and then part of that understanding that grows through those reflections and those understanding of our interconnectedness. So that's another thing I wanted to sort of say in terms of how we support our ethical behaviour is because of that interconnectedness what we do matters it matters more and in, 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 I think than we realise it's some of that you know is, is about ourselves 
and about, but it's also about others. And that what we do has effects. Okay, and it's this understanding that of cause and effect and consequence and that in different ways, through our energy, through our thoughts, through our words, through, through our deeds, we are having an effect in the world. You think of the reverberations, you know, when you speak to someone and then that, how many people that person speaks to and that even just on that more kind of obvious level. I don't think we realise... Uh, you know, and I think sometimes we can get, oh, well, this little me, and I, you know, it doesn't matter. And this is delusion. <laughs> you know, so I think to to really to really reflect on that again with all of these teachings, it's not like okay, I'm picking this up and I'll just believe it because somebody says so, but and to find out for ourselves. So a couple of other little things, or they're not little, but brief things, I wanted to mention as part of this uh, kind of reflection on what supports us in uh, this ethical training. One is the reflection on our own goodness. This is something that the Buddha you know, taught and encouraged that I think for many of us who have maybe a sort of negative self-image, you know, a strong inner critic, a kind of uh, schema of, of, of lack, you know, that so what 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 you know again seems very in, endemic in 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 a lot of Western mind is, you know, the dwelling on what we haven't got, on what we haven't done, and how we're not good enough, and we've done this, but it wasn't very good, or it wasn't big enough, and really we ought to be more like that, <laughs> you know, the whole thing, and it's so distorted. So the skillfulness, not out of ego, not out of oh, I'm so great, you know, I've done this and this and this. But just, oh, yeah. There's kind, you know, there's a, there's kindness and remembering time when you, you gave, you know, a present to somebody and it was really appreciated or, you know, you just um, stepped aside, you know, in a queue in the bank or something, let somebody else go in or, you know, bigger things than that. Um, and it, it's... I think, you know, you might think, oh, well, I can't think of anything. But I think if you, if you keep reflecting, you will think of something. It, it's, you know, I think it's, re- it's really, really, again, helpful in terms of nourishing our own sense of well-being, out of which then we are more able to extend our, ourselves and offer and serve. And lastly, this partly relates to my question right at the beginning about what's your response to these you know, what happens when you hear or think about all of these or any of them. And also to do with the, the thing of image. You know, we get an image of Mother Teresa, who, who, you know, whoever it is, and think, well, I can't be like that. You know, we have ideas about what we, you know, should. Again, here's another pendulum swing, isn't it? You know, I should be really good, and I can't do that. So we swing the other side, and and just forget about it or something, or stick my head under the sand or something. You know, what's the middle way there? So when I was reflecting on this earlier today, I got a sense of, like, an encouragement to discover for each one of us an authentic kind of ethic. So we're not inventing... (coughs) Bless you. We're not inventing them... We're not, but we are, in a way, 
being creative and also honoring who who we are as a personality you know what what talents there are what limitations and that within all of that we can find an authentic expression of care expressing uh, authentic expression of um, compassion authentic expressions of generosity that are in harmony with you know what we truly are and and again how how that can be an exploration because we may have very wrong ideas about what we are what we have what we're capable of so to let that be an exploration you know a journey you know, what you know and and not just as a the- on a theoretical level but you know on a on a practical level and to know you know to to be to be really creative with that you know we've talked with some people about artistic expression poetry dance um art all 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 the different kinds of work all all the just the multitude of ways that um we can express goodness in the world and to really know that we can we can find ways that that truly make that a path of joy and a path of happiness you know for our life and and for others and it doesn't have to be about i should be better and all the heaviness of of that it can it can be a truly uplifting and a way of bringing of bringing real joy and gladness in, into our life So to finish I'd like to invite you just to reflect now or whenever of, of about the possibility of really making a commitment to these precepts and if you want to you know as a for your life as a ref, or as reflective kind of tools we could take one up for a week or a month some wonderful story about somebody who took up wise speech for a year and found that, that her relationship to speech was really transformed over that time so there's a lot of different ways we can work with these precepts and as i said earlier really seeing them as a refuge a refuge you know to support us in the storms the inner storms and the outer storms and um <laughs> i will put them up on the board and i'm really not proselytizing i suddenly find myself my sounding a bit like you must take the precepts i really really don't mean that um i think it's maybe just enthusiasm or something um so i will um i will put them on the board for your consideration so i'd like to finish um with a quotation by albert einstein the human being is part of the whole called by us universe a part limited in time and space we experience ourselves our thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest a kind of optical illusion of consciousness 
This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole nature in its beauty. Nobody is able to achieve this completely, but the striving for such achievement is in itself a part of the liberation and a foundation for inner security. So let's just um, sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.